When I think back to the beginning of the pandemic, I remember there being a two or three week period where many of my regular routines just stopped. Looking back, I feel kind of stupid or naive in thinking that the pause or the lockdown would last maybe a matter of weeks, one or, or two months at the most, before we would slowly go back to a similar version of the lives we were living. I can even remember not giving a second thought to rescheduling doctor appointments or counseling sessions or switching to remote sessions because I thought I'll be back doing those things in person like normal before I know it. But as we all know now, that wasn't going to be the case. Two weeks became a month and then two months and even more months. And even then, I still didn't have a good grasp on the idea that it probably wasn't going to be like a light switch. A snap of a finger and everyone will forget the term social distancing and what that might mean for the holidays. People have asked me, where did the idea to do this podcast come from? First, Christmas and the holiday season are a part of who I am, and I've always wanted to tell the story of the Christmas Eves I spent with my family as a child. I'll say this a few times in this series, but those magical nights have had the most profound effect on my life, who I am as a person, and how I conduct myself in almost every aspect. It wasn't until I was quite a bit older that I realized this extended reach of influence this Christmas spirit that burns within me, caused by those wonderful Christmas Eves as a kid in Queens, might have only been five or six or maybe seven days of my life. I'm sure many people that are listening to this might feel the same, but have you ever really tried to understand why? What was it about those experiences caused them to have such an extended reach into the future and such an effect on us. I've always enjoyed looking back for the answer and exploring the facets of what happens in our childhood that makes us into who we are today. And this series will finally give me that chance. But aside from the personal exercise of reliving the magic of childhood and sharing it with others, why put so much effort into communicating a message that everybody kind of knows, even if they only know it on a subconscious level. I like to point to a conversation I had with my father sometime in the month of May. I had been struggling with the same issues that almost everyone was struggling with. Like everyone, I have my own day-to-day -day challenges, but during the pandemic, I had been feeling like most of my personal and emotional issues, were forced to take a back seat to the current crisis. I was working a lot, thankful to still be employed, and honestly, I was just trying to stay that way. But on this particular day, for some reason, my father, who will become a central character in the series, blurts out the phrase, Well, you can kiss Christmas Eve goodbye! Depending on who I tell the story to and when, I characterize my reaction a little differently. If I spend time 
really thinking about how I reacted, I think it was a combination of shock and confusion. To me, it just seemed like a strange thing to be thinking in May. And an even stranger time to say it out loud. I know it's never his intention, but I remember thinking to myself, is he trying to make me feel as bad as he could possibly make me feel? My love of the holiday season is something that defines me. He knows that. My love of Christmas Eve and the family gathering is something that defines me. He knows that. So why would you say you can kiss Christmas Eve goodbye in May? Especially since he, along with other key members of my family, are the cultivators of this passion within me. I thought that conversation might have been the catalyst for putting this together, but the reality is, it wasn't the spark. My father's comment was the explosion. The fuse had already been lit. Deep inside, I was already percolating on how social distancing might affect the holidays. In fact, it was a main theme in some of the conversations I had with my counselor very early on. I had been seeing someone for counseling sessions about once a week for a while, and after the initial shock of the pause wore off, I resumed sessions over the phone. I didn't realize it at the time, but at least once in every session, I would bring up how devastated I would be and how much worse I would be viewing the pandemic if it had started in the month of October and not in the month of March. Back then, the idea that restrictions would still be controlling our world eight or nine months down the road was quite simply unthinkable. Over time, it went from unthinkable to an outside chance, and then from an outside chance to a possibility, then a likelihood, and now a reality. It was like a picture in my mind that was very, very blurry completely impossible to make out, but now the vision of what the holiday season will be like during the pandemic is getting clearer. My father's comment was the beginning of forcing the lenses in my mind to start bringing that image into focus. When he said, you can kiss Christmas Eve goodbye, my initial internal reaction was, you can't cancel Christmas. I don't know if I reacted that way because I was in denial or if my initial reaction was to be rebellious. And I don't even know if my reaction was believable. What's most curious about my reaction was that out of all the thoughts I was having in the moment and all the feelings I was feeling in the moment, all of it was internal. I said it to myself, but I didn't say it out loud. You can't cancel Christmas. Did even I believe that? It turns out that while I was struggling with the question of what the pandemic would mean for Christmas and the holiday season, there were other people struggling with a different question, something much more pressing for them because their big day was much sooner. 
Halloween. People always debate, some quite passionately, of when the holiday season officially begins. For me, it's a personal question, and it should have a personal answer. For me, personally, I try to feel the magic of Christmas in my spirit all year long. But if I'm being honest, I know that the real buildup starts at the stroke of midnight on October 31st. I enjoy Halloween. I do. But mostly because I treat it as a doorway. And once I step through, I find myself wrapped in the blanket of joy that is the holiday season. But what if that door was blocked? Over the summer, I started to have long conversations at work. What will Halloween look like? What will people be able to do? What will we be able to do? While we're active all year long, the fall festivals and the Halloween activities are some of the biggest things we get involved in. What will everyone be doing in October? Because you can't cancel Halloween. That brings us to Paul at the Gateway. Halloween at the Gateway Playhouse might not be the exact equivalent to Christmas Eve in my grandparents' house as a kid, but as Paul explains how he discovered that no one could cancel Halloween, you'll be given a piece of the puzzle, a part of the answer of why you can't cancel Christmas. My name is Paul Allen. I am one of the creative directors of Gateway's Haunted Playhouse, and I'm also the artistic director here at the Gateway, which is a nonprofit performing arts center that operates uh, in Belport Village. As the year began, we actually, Gateway had just embarked on launching its first ever full 12-month season. We'd been a summer theater back in the beginnings of, of Gateway, which was back in the 50s, and that really consisted of two months of shows. It was July and August, and that's pretty much what the season was back then. And as the years went on, the season was expanded into September. It opened in June, then it opened in May. So in recent years, we've had a six- or seven-month season and also occasional holiday show thrown in for good measure. But uh, 2020 was really the first year for a, a full season of shows. So uh, as you can imagine, as the uh, pandemic was starting to uh, evolve in March, we were in the midst of Murder on the Orient Express, big show, lots of people coming, and all of a sudden sales stopped. And not only did they stop, but in that last week we were running, we gave back at least half the money for people who just said, hey, we, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what this is. We're uncomfortable leaving our house. So uh, we want our money back. So it was it was quite a blow as, as it started hitting in March, for sure. Everything was getting pushed, and, and it became apparent that the summer season of shows was no longer an option. So the next thing to think about, the next milestone, was really the haunted house, and that was scheduled to open at the end of September. That would have been September 25th would have been previews. So we're like, well, that's still a ways off, we're thinking, in June and July. And we'll still should be able to make that happen. Things hopefully will be getting better. But all of a sudden, we were into August, and we realized, hey, if we don't 
start planning on getting a crew out here because the haunted house doesn't obviously happen by itself we bring in people from across the country that work on our haunt we've got designers and craftsmen usually on staff already that have been with us all summer in this case if we were going to do a haunted house without any staff on the property the first step was to bring people to the property so the first thing we did was we decided to push the opening date of the haunt from the 25th until October 2nd. And that seemed like, okay, that'll give us a little bit more time, another week. Um, hopefully haunted houses can still open. Um, we should think about getting people out here because at that point there was already a two-week quarantine and a lot of our people that come in from other places in the country would have to come in two weeks earlier before they even would begin working. So we kind of worked backwards from a start date of when would we have to start to actually build our haunted house as we've always done it, which is in the theater, putting up walls, putting in automations, putting the whole thing together. So that was really the first decision that was made was, hey, we're going to open on October 2nd, maybe. But if we do, we need to get people here quarantining by August 17th. And then that means we better let these people know, can they come, can we get them here at the right time? So it was really the beginning of August that we gambled that we'd be able to do some sort of a haunted house. And at that point is when we started thinking, well, if we can't do an indoor haunted house, can we do it outside? Can we do a smaller thing? And can we do it in another location? So it was really four or five different ideas were floating around of what we might be able to do, but we were pretty set on doing something, and that's why we made that ga that gamble in August to start bringing some crew out here, and let's see where the chips are going to fall, and uh, you know take it day day by day from from August first on. I think a lot of people expect to come every year now. It's really Halloween has changed. When I was a kid, it was about trick or treating and you know, looking forward to October 31st, and there was some decorating that was done around the neighborhood, but it, it wasn't anywhere near the holiday it has become, and I think haunted houses are, are a big part of that. I think other media has played into that. It all kind of started at the same time. I think we were right there as the industry was was really changing, and because we've been around now for 11 years and, and been a part of this new Halloween protocol that's been sort of developed, there, there's a high expectation of, of being able to go to a haunted house and, and hang out in the midway and, and, and you know, have fun with your friends and go through a haunted house and, and do that early, not, not wait until October 31st. You, you, you want to do it in the weekends leading up to Halloween. So you know, we felt as the pandemic was hitting and we're in the midst of it and the theater operation is closed down, you know, certain outdoor activities were allowed, and we were running drive-in movies, which is something that we transitioned to, to to keep you know relevant and to keep something happening on the property. So we were like, Halloween's coming. There's got to be something we can do. You know, we're hoping we could do the full haunt, but there's got to be something because Long Island is expecting it. Like people want to go to something, and it's it's. It's part of our mission as a not-for-profit to serve the community, and this is a need of the community. The haunted, haunted houses have become necessary. We had plenty of time before October, so you know, as the months went on, sure, we were concerned, but when it got to be, you know, the push comes to shove and we have to make a call, 
we pushed forward. We said, get the technicians out here that need to build this thing. Get the creative people on board. Let's start planning several different scenarios so we're ready to, to move one way or the other because we're, we're going to run out of time at a certain point. And uh, we just kept the positive energy flowing that something would work out. And that's when we transitioned to the idea of the old 1940s radio hour, when families would sit around their radios and just listen to a story, and they'd imagine what was happening because they couldn't see it. They just were being told the story. So it was like, let's do something like that. Let's write a story that's interesting, spooky, compelling, and then let's dress the surroundings to match the story, and then we could bring actors into it and maybe even somehow have some sort of interaction between the actors and the cars, but the actors really have to stay very far away. So that's that's kind of how the, the Forgotten Road came to be. It was just a lot of different ideas all kind of coming together in a way that was practically possible and the thing became at that point can we get a location because the the suffolk county uh, parks department they were interested in working with us but we didn't know if it was going to happen that we had to get legislative approval you know the the radio station was working with us to try to help you know connect some of the dots and, and connect the right people together but it was it was still very unknown if we could actually get this thing approved in time to build it in time to open it because i think at that point we were only five weeks away from opening. Well, I think what's interesting was we, we made a lot of really good calls right in the beginning as we were planning it, and, and fortunately, the, the basic structure of it all didn't really have to change much. The, the idea of how to get the cars lined up to go in, how to avoid a really long wait time. One thing that we did realize, too, is that the actors could get closer to the cars than we thought without putting anybody in danger. Um, so that was something that, again, until we actually ran it, the idea of putting actors and scaring them and putting them in their cars with, with gas pedals seemed crazy. But as we did it and the first few nights happened, we realized that you know everybody is moving along at two or three miles an hour. Nobody's speeding. You can't really speed because there's cars not too far in front of you. There's a very defined path. The actors can easily not be in the way of where cars could go if someone accidentally did hit the gas. So we found spots where you're, the car is naturally making a turn. An actor can go pretty near the side of the car, and there's really no way that car or any car is going to come anywhere near that actor. So I think those are the things that we realized after the first week or so, is that we could make some adjustments to how the actors were positioned and what their scares actually were. And it didn't have to be so much of a of a Pirates of the Caribbean where they're, you know, everything's happening away from your boat and you're just looking at it all. We were able to bring the actors closer. Um, we started uh, suggesting that people put their windows down if they were comfortable with that. The actors never came closer than six feet from the car, but, you know, they could come 10 feet from the car and make noises, yell, charge toward the car. You know, it, it definitely made the people in the cars be much more interactive with the actors, even though they were still, you know, very far away. I think that what we did was important, and I think it was necessary. I, I think people have realized now that we're so many months into this pandemic that there is just a lot of compromises in our lives now, 
and we've come to accept that. Like we don't necessarily like it, but we know that it's different. But I would say that the vast majority of people that we've spoken to are just so happy that we were able to pull something off and at a reasonable price. I mean, it was only $54 a car and there was like five and six people in most cars. So, I mean, we're talking $10 a person to, you know, have a great time in a haunted house when, you know, normally they pay $35 to go to a haunted house. So it was cheaper. It was fun. They got out of the house. They still witnessed Halloween all around them. They saw crazy characters. I mean, it was, they got, they still got their Halloween and that was our goal. Like, can we still deliver Halloween even though it's going to be a little different? And yes, we did. We saved Halloween and it was an awesome experience. I take so much from what I've learned and what I've seen and it, it is all about the love and the compassion and, and, you know, bringing everyone together and creating that family feel and you've got to, you've got to work that way when you're creating magic. You just, it, it doesn't come out of a box. Like you gotta, it's gotta come from the heart and, uh, that really drives us, and it's, it's driven this company. That that kind of feeling has driven this company since when my parents were running it, and that's that's what I continue to bring to the company is that that togetherness and that teamwork, and and I think that is why we're able to do what we do. Coming up. We'll continue the tale of Christmas Eve's past as we await the arrival of Santa Claus. We'll explore the personal and cultural impact of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And we'll discuss holiday music and its importance on You Can't Cancel Christmas, a limited series from Long Island's holiday music station, Walk 97.5.